Greetings, my name is Griffin Schaefer. And my name is Scott Peterson. And this is episode 22 of Inside Quizzing. A podcast about Bible quizzing for folks who love the Bible. And in this episode 22, uh, we are recorded on Monday, September 3rd. We are going to be talking about a handful of uh, topics leading up to our scramble meet. Our scramble meet is now less than two weeks away, just a, just a couple of days less than two weeks away on Saturday. Uh, the 15th. So very exciting. Uh, we're going to be wrapping up our conversation about situation questions that we started in last, uh, the last episode, episode 21. We're going to be kind of talking about some of the a little bit more edge casey sort of things and a little bit more esoteric sort of things about situation questions. So it should be very interesting and maybe we'll actually find some disagreements to, to disagree on. So that'll be uh, pretty exciting. Uh, and then of course we are going to be restarting as we promised or warned, I suppose, depending on your point of view in a previous episode, we are going to be restarting our chapters in review practice that we did several episodes ago back when we were in Corinthians. So we're going to be reviewing John chapter one today. And then uh, next episode, we will be reviewing John chapter two, all in prep for the scramble meet. So like I said, in terms of announcements, uh, one thing that's very important to keep in mind, of course, scramble only, you know, uh, what, uh, 13 days away, uh, 12 days away. No, 13 days away. I don't know. I can't do math. Um, some number of days away that's less than 14. And if you haven't registered already, uh, please make sure you register. If you are a quizzer and you're not sure if you are registered, if your coach, is, you may not know if your coach is registered, uh, now would be a really great time to go and pester your coach and ask them, hey, have you remembered to register? Because that would be really important. Now, that being said, you can show up the day of, and we will try to figure out a way to get you included. Um, Scott is a master at that, and Scott will be running the table uh, at the front, the registration table. So when you first get to the meet uh, at Alliance Bible Quizzing in Covington, or sorry, Alliance Bible Quizzing, Alliance Bible Church, uh, where we will be doing quizzing in Covington, Washington, when you show up there, uh, say nine o'clock on the 15th. And if you haven't registered, uh, just talk to Scott and he'll get things sorted out. But whatever you can do ahead of that to register will be very helpful to everybody. If you have any questions about any of that or anything else, uh, please email us at iq at cbqz.org. So iq at cbqz.org. And as I mentioned, uh, the scramble meet, we are going to be doing John chapter, we're going to be covering John chapters one and two. Uh, and then of course we're going to be doing workshops and we're going to be doing, let's see, coaches sort of, uh, get together some administrative sort of things to talk about what's going to happen for the year. Um, what other sorts of things are going on, Scott? Um, I think you hit all of it. We're going to have those workshops. We're going to have our big leadership meeting. We're going to have a bunch of quizzing. We're going to have a quiz of officials and alumni versus coaches versus quizzers. Um, and then just general hanging out and getting to know each other. Very cool. Who do you have tapped to be the quiz master for that? For the fun quiz? Yeah, for the fun quiz. I'm not sure. Um, I'm hopeful to have more than four members of the officials and alumni team and have quiz masters cycle through in some sense. So um, I might quiz master for some of it and... I might replace someone on the stage who can quiz master for some of it. And the nice thing is, since we're using CBQZ, we don't have to have the question set pre-generated. And so every question on the fly is a brand new unknown question. And so it doesn't really matter if a quiz master is sitting there asking questions for six questions and then jumps up to quiz themselves because they have, there's no pre-generated set that they can look at. Well, I mean, I guess. Well, sort of, is. sort of. They, as long as they, as long as they're honest and they don't click the show me the next question button. Um, uh, yeah, so they, they can technically look ahead, but, uh, uh, it's much different than a printed paper that you have to fold over. Yes. Yeah. It is, it is easy to force yourself not to see the future. Whereas with a paper, your eyes can in, inadvertently drop down, you know, even innocently. Yep. So I have not planned that, and uh, um, I'm sure it will all work out. We have plenty of people there who are capable of quiz mastering, and we'll have a laptop with CBQZ just sitting on that table. So it'll make things easy on everybody. Very cool. Very cool. 
So yeah, if you guys are uh, anybody out there listening who has not been part of quizzing before, if you're if you're kind of listening to this thinking that it was kind of interesting to maybe see what's going on, this would be an awesome opportunity for it. Uh, you can not only see quizzing, but you can actually participate. Uh, if that sounds scary, don't let it be scary because we'll get you hooked into uh, one team here and there somewhere where there's other folks you can uh, you can uh, collaborate with and they will show you the ropes. And it's a great opportunity to meet people and get kind of hooked into the program and just kind of see what it's about, kind of experiment about it. And there's no, you know, like there's no obligation. You can you know, show up, get hooked into a team. And then at the end of it, you're kind of like, yeah, this just wasn't for me. That's totally cool. We'd love to uh, see you out there and, and at least just get, get to meet you. And that would be a fantastic thing. So uh, Alliance Bible Church uh, in Covington, and you can Google and the instructions are all there and uh, it works out just well. All right. And looking at our registration, we still have a bunch of churches that have not registered at all. And even if you are not planning on coming, it's very helpful if you register no as under the attending column. That's super helpful to me. But um, we'd love Christ Central and Dallas and Eastridge Baptist and Gig Harbor and Graham Covenant and Grays Harbor to check into that registration document. Ooh, the public shaming begins. Don't be don't be publicly shamed next week. That would be very embarrassing. <laughs> So uh, uh, very important, get on there and, and get your registration in, even if you are not able to make it. All right, cool. Anything else about uh, announcements before we move on to situation questions? I think that's it. All right. Well, situation questions, part two. Take it away, Scott. So our next bullet point is, what if an animal or a thing said it? And I went back to the rule book and it says, must be a direct quotation from scripture by a person or an entity. And at some point in the recent past, I don't recall that word or an entity being in there, but because it is, I think it kind of covers any thing that might be saying stuff in the Bible. The examples that I put down were a donkey saying things, a tree, and a bush. Now, I was not able to find occurrences of those things happening in quizzing narrative material. For example, Balaam's donkey talking is back in the Old Testament. But I seem to recall something that made me bat an eye in quizzing narrative material that was not clearly a human being saying something. And if anyone remembers where this is, if you can email in to IQ at cbqz.org, that would be awesome, just so I can remember. But I don't think there's a whole lot to discuss because an or an entity covers even non-humans saying things in the Bible. Um, one point to make is that sometimes it says a voice a voice came from heaven saying, um, and I think an entity saying it is is totally fine there, um, and it probably makes best sense or clearest sense to the quizzer to write that as a how is it said, a voice came from heaven saying. Um, now, it is the Father saying those things, so you could write it as a who, but then that's verging a little bit into the um, forcing quizzers to interpret things, even if they might it might be obvious to most quizzers it still does require a level of interpretation so i think i i've most often seen that those voice from heaven written as a how was it said would it be valid to ask it as a what said it could you say what instead of a who that's the other thing that i didn't know so i believe the rule book lays out the interrogative words or the, the different situation questions that can be asked. Um, and I believe it's like who to whom about whom, how, and it, I don't, yeah. Thinking back to the definition of interrogative questions in the rule book, it says who or a form of it. And I don't know if that parenthetical statement is also written in regarding situation questions. I seem to recall it isn't, uh, which would mean the quiz master, the question writer always has to write situation questions as a who said it, even if it was an entity that might not be a person. Um, besides, I think writing those as a what said it gives a lot away. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Certainly in in uh, in the material, you might be able to jump before the question is called. Yeah. Now, you could argue that writing a what said it doesn't give any more away than writing um, an about whom was it said or a why was it said, because those are also so rare. But I think it's clearest just to stick to the who said it, even if it's not a person saying it. Yes, indeed. Um, 
next thing I wanted to get into is Old Testament quotes. So there are many times in the New Testament where something from the Old Testament is said, um, but there are diff- a couple different kind of forms of it being said. So we'll start with the clear one, um, or at least by my definition of clear. So in John one twenty three, it reads, John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. So that quotation, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord, was first said by Isaiah in the Old Testament. But here, John is not simply recalling it. He is actually speaking Isaiah's words aloud in the present to the people here in John. Um, and so I think, you know, um, this is clearly said by John. I'm fine with John as the who said it. We don't have to, you know, quibble over, well, Isaiah was the one who said it. Like, in this case, John, even though he's repeating Isaiah's words, John spoke these words. But later in John, in um, John 12, 38, uh, it says, This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, Lord, who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed. And I'm not sure if that quotation, it's in double quotes, was actually spoken, like, in the time period of the book of John. And I don't know if that matters. Um, I really don't know what the rule book is meaning to define when it says a direct quotation. Um, I don't know if you want to jump in, Griffin, with your ideas about direct or indirect quotations. Yeah, so as somebody who does Bible translation, uh, let me tell you, there's no such thing as little quote marks. Um, in English, we have, you know, punctuation around, you know, adding in quote marks or indentation of like larger passages, uh, of quotation, uh, that sort of illustrate to us like, okay, this is somebody's actually saying something that didn't exist in the, uh, the ancient Greek. And so what we're doing when, you know, as a translator, we're looking at this and we're saying, okay, well, as I translate these words and trying to be as faithful as I can to the original words and phraseology that was in there and the the original intent of the author as best we can figure it out, it seems like this is an actual quotation. This is something that somebody is saying about somebody else or or somebody else is saying it and so forth. When it comes to 1238, it's... It's one of those weird situations where, well, what we're doing is we are quoting, but we're not quoting somebody, uh, somebody saying something. We're quoting somebody writing something, right? We're saying this was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah the prophet wrote the following, uh, and then Lord and so on is, is the quote. From my perspective in terms of situation questions, I don't see that as a problem. Uh, I think whether, whether we are quoting somebody who it has spoken something, or we're quoting somebody that has written something, it's still a direct quote from the material. And so for me, it, 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 I look at that comparative to, you know, the, the actual rule book, and I go like, yeah, that's completely fine for a situation question. I understand other people have, you know, sometimes different uh, points of view there, but it seems to me that, you know, we can say, well, Isaiah is the person who wrote these things you could say said who said it isaiah and that's where well what does the word said mean and that's where it starts to get a little bit fuzzy of like saying well did they literally speak it or did they write it down and it's being quoted uh that's where i think maybe we can expand the the definition of said to sort of be a little bit broader uh, but I mean, I'm also, I'm, I'm remembering from say Acts chapter two, when we've got something like in verse 16, no, this is what was, this is, so this is where it gets kind of confusing. So in Acts chapter two, you've got, uh, Luke who is quoting Peter, who is quoting Joel, but he's quoting Joel from the scripture of Joel and He's saying uh, in verse 16, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then he says, in the last days, God says, and so forth. And in the last days is the beginning of what Peter says Joel spoke, but it is in fact what Joel wrote. And then it's like, well, did Joel say it? And then it was written down, which is likely the case. Or did Joel actually write those things first? And that's where the, we get into sort of gray interpretive area. And I don't like getting into gray interpretive areas when it comes to quizzing. And that's where I, I, I tend to prefer the expanded view of saying, you know, if it, if it's clearly a quote, uh, somebody saying or writing something to me, that qualifies. That makes sense. Um, I think it's an interesting discussion when we start talking about punctuation. Um, because I think as a question writer, I often just 
go through the material, and if I see double quotes, then I'm like, oh, here's a situation question to write. Um, and so it may not, like, do you think that almost every single basis for a situation question would actually have double quotes around it? Like, we wouldn't find good basis for a situation question that has no double quotes, and there wouldn't be a double quoted thing that would be a really bad situation question? I think that generally is true. There are some exceptions. So, uh, in, like the, like in the Acts chapter two situation, starting in verse 17, in the last days begins with a double quote, but it's also indented because it's, it's expressing poetry. But, uh, if it wasn't expressing poetry, but it was a block of text that sort of, sort of English, in English, we were indenting to recognize that this was a larger block of quotation lifted from some other material. I think that would be fine too. I think that would be the only exception, uh, to the always find a quote, uh, a quote mark. But I think, uh, generally speaking, if you're looking for quote marks, uh, I think, I think you're not going to go wrong. I think you're pretty much going to cover 99, if not 100%. And I don't think there would, I could be wrong, but I don't think there are exceptions to the, you know, it needs to have a quote mark. I think the, the, the translators for the current NIV version did a good job in terms of interpreting when something is a quote and when something isn't. So I think we can, and the nice thing about this, of course, is as a question writer, it lets us interpret something less if we're always looking for the beginning of a quote that way with a mark. Sure. So thinking, expanding my thinking a little bit. So I've always written those old quote unquote old, t- that's probably confusing to say quote-unquote, but um, those Old Testament quotations just as situation questions. But I have heard at least one person say, I don't think they're great. And I've also heard someone say, I I don't remember hearing a lot of these types of situation questions asked to internationals. So my question for you would be, um, the rulebook language that says direct must be a direct quotation from Scripture is probably... Um, confusing to some degree because it's vague to some degree. Even though I'm learning that vague language is almost 100% necessary in a rule book, it's very hard to write something as completely black and white. But would you be in favor of or against a different sort of language that, that just says must be within quotation marks or something of that nature that does make it more objective and removes or, you know, like the Old Testament versus versus not debate, even though it's probably not as raging as some other debates. Yeah. I, I don't think to, I don't think too many people are necessarily arguing about it. But yeah, I I don't have a problem with switching to saying it needs to start with a quotation mark because I think by and large and in fact I I, I hesitate to say always, but I'm I'm really, really leaning towards saying that it always starts with a quotation mark. So to me, if we were to switch what the rulebook currently says to must begin with a quotation mark, I don't know that it would appreciably change anything. In fact, it may not change anything at all. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Because I, I don't, it doesn't make a big deal to me. There aren't a whole lot of these Old Testament quotations. And if it was decided that we don't want them to be written as situation questions, that's fine. But if there's a little nice change one sentence change to the rule book that uh, makes things clearer, that would be awesome. Um, but it kind of leads into a very related thing. Occasionally you have double quoted quotation, again, acknowledging that punctuation marks were not part of the original text, but you have a double quoted quotation and then a single quoted quotation within it. Um, there's probably no good way to write that single quoted quotation as a situation question, because often the identification of who said it is within the double quoted quotation to begin with, right? So I think that's much more situational. So I think that tends to be true, but is not necessarily always true. And so here's where I come down on that. I think there are, and don't ask me to give you exactly the reference because I couldn't right now, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I recall encountering a situation where there is a larger quote, somebody saying something. And then with that person is saying they are then quoting somebody within their quote and they provide enough information in their own words to allow the asking of, well, who said the interior quote, you know, uh, the reference to that was, was done from the exterior quote. I don't, believe asking a, 
a, a situation question for the interior uh, quote would be invalid. In fact, I think it would be perfectly valid as far as I read uh, the rule book. I don't know. I feel a little bit cautious about that because it may not be what people are expecting. It may not. It, I don't like the idea of tricking quizzers. I think it's completely reasonable if it's very clear what the answer is within the, the larger in uh, rapper quote. But I think most of that, or, or very rarely does that actually happen, right? So, you know, in, in 1234, we were in, you were in 12 something or other. So I'm just reading up uh, the page a little bit. Or wait, no, you were from 1234, uh, weren't you? I was from 1238. Oh, 38. Okay, so just a few verses before that. The crowd spoke up, and then the larger quote happens. We have heard from the law that uh, the Messiah will remain forever. How can you say, subquote, the Son of Man must be lifted up, right? And so you could say, well, okay, that inner quote, the Son of Man must be lifted up. Okay, fine, it's bigger than five words. It seems to me like... I don't know, it doesn't seem very key in terms of a quote, so it may not be a good question in that regard. But assuming that it was key enough to be able to tr be turned into a situation question, uh, it's sort of like, well, how can you say it's the crowd basically quoting Jesus back to Jesus? And it's like, well, who said it? Well, Jesus didn't really... I, it just starts to get very, very kind of challenging and fuzzy and yucky very, very quickly. So it would, for me, it would have to be something much more akin to the, you know, the Acts 2 sort of example where, you know, Peter is unambiguously quoting Joel. And so if we were to start in verse 17 of Acts 2, then I could say, well, who said that? And then the answer would be Joel, even though the larger context is a Peter quote. Sure. Well, I have a couple interesting points um, that this reminded me of. One is just, in general, punctuation in Bible quizzing. Because, and I'm thinking about finish this questions, because the rulebook says it has to start at the beginning of a quotation or the beginning of a sentence um, for finish this question. So I'm kind of switching topics in a big way. Um, and so, of course, I started Googling around and said, what's the definition of a sentence? Expecting it to be um, something preceded by a period. Well, that's not true at all. Like, the the definition of a sentence is very much based in grammar and, like, um, you know, just constructs of the language that you're talking about. And it's not defined by punctuation that is used. Um, and I was hoping for something clean, but I've since come to see that most Finnish thises are going to start at a quotation, after a period, or after a colon, occasionally after a, a dash. I don't know the difference between a hyphen and a dash. Um, but the idea of, like, what can you define a sentence is actually kind of difficult to do. Um, and so in this case, you know, I'm, I'm trying to deal with double quotes and single quotes and, you know, direct quotation and to what extent do I want to take something as, like, a punctuation um, kind of informing how I'm going to write questions as a question writer. Yeah, that can be very tricky. Um but moving on to something else that I kind of remembered. Um, I remembered it when we were talking about single quotes within double quotes, but um, it's actually only barely related. Um, sometimes there's a quotation that can potentially answer a situation question. And I made, I made something up. Jesus answered, quote, Peter, I do not know, yada, 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 yada. I occasionally will see this written as a who said it to whom. Now, to me... The to whom is only answered within the actual quotation. So if you if the quizzer starts jumps on Peter, I, and they quote Peter, I do not know, yada, 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 quote is complete, Jesus answered. If they're correct at that point, then you shouldn't write the Peter as a to whom when it can be answered by technically the question part of the question and not the answer part of the question. What do you think, Griffin? I completely agree. I really don't like inferred answers uh, for situation questions. For me, the answer has to be unambiguous within the non-quotated, non-quotated, the non-quotation of the material. So what if, like, verse 1, Peter asked Jesus a question. Verse 2, Jesus answered, Peter, I do not know. And you're right, that is a who said it to whom. The quizzer says, Peter, I do not know, yada, 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 quote is complete. Jesus answered, more. Peter asked, 
you are correct. So, like, at, at that point, like, as a as a question writer, you could totally write that as as a who said it to whom. And then as a quiz master, you would make them kind of restate the Peter part of the of their answer, even though the word Peter is is part of the quotation. Yeah, I think you would have to do that. It does lend itself to a little bit of confusion because when you get to the end of the quote, you say quote is complete. They say Jesus answered. You say more. They're kind of like, well, wait a minute. I said everything. So they're going to go back and go, well, what did they ask? Okay, who said it to him? Well, Jesus said it to Peter. Okay, you're correct, right? So it might lend itself to a little bit of confusion. So it's not, ex- I wouldn't, I wouldn't be a super big fan of throwing in the requiring of Peter into the answer uh, for that very reason, just because it, it might lead to a little bit of confusion, but I don't see anything invalid about it. Yeah, and that's the way I would treat it as a quiz master, but I would not be surprised to see quizzers be confused because in their minds, they've identified Peter as the one to whom this quotation was said, but they kind of need to say it, the word Peter, not as part of the quotation part of it, <laughs> um, which which feels almost overly pedantic, but sometimes going about a process that way keeps things clearer in the long run. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, this kind of goes back to also, you know, uh, the quiz master when if if you're presented as a quiz master with this question, you do have to require that uh, Peter is answered. But as a question writer, this is one of those things where I think it's important to keep in mind, you know, get yourself in the mind of a an internationals level quizzer. Is this confusing? Is this clear at the district level? Is this going to be clear and, and straightforward? Like our goal is not to write easy questions. I think it's important to have both easy and very difficult questions and then everything in between. But I think it is our goal as question writers to avoid tricky questions, like avoid trying to trip up quizzers on technicalities. I definitely agree. I've got a few more things here. Um, next one, which I feel like we talked about last show, but we'll hit it again in case we didn't, which is multiple sentences within a single quotation. So many times there will be a single quotation that runs for many sentences. And to keep things simple, let's say it only runs for two verses. So we're getting away from the 10, 20 verse long quotations. So we have a single quotation that runs for two verses and maybe has four or five sentences within them. So I think of these very similarly as finish these two verses. If there are two verses that work better, however I define work better or make more sense or have a stronger meaning together, then that's when I want to write them as a finish these two verses. So just like that, in situation questions, if all of these sentences work better together, I want to write them all together as a single quotation. I've seen question writers that will just write each sentence um, going forward as its own separate situation question. But to me, unless breaking it up there has like some different meaning than keeping everything together, then I see no reason to chunk it up um, in my mind unnecessarily. That might be too harsh to say it that way, but I'm really looking at the meaning. And if there's a cohesive meaning within the two verses, I will only write one situation question on that quotation. Now, if the speaker of the quotation hits a few different topics, maybe you have one quotation, one situation question with the whole two verse quotation, but maybe you have another one starting at topic two, you know, that could be at sentence number three within this quotation. But unless that sort of change of topic or something um, occurs, I'm writing this as just one situation question, regardless of how many sentences it is. Yep, totally agree. Because, um, again, I'm just trying to empathize with the quizzer. I'm not going to just start at a random place just because it's valid. Um, I'm out here to write good questions, clear questions that test um, the knowledge of the material. So my standard is higher than valid. Um, even though... Every year, I ask probably two to five questions that are invalid every single meet. And I try to catch them all myself, but sometimes I need help catching them. Um, you said something earlier, Griffin, which was um, you were talking about that single quote within a double quote. And you said, is it longer than five words, I think is what you said. Now, I don't yeah, think... And, and that's not really a rule, but it's one of those things that I try to keep in my mind in terms of, you know, just... 
it, it, it's, it's valid if it's less, but again, it's like, uh, valid, but I want to be at a higher bar. Like, what were you saying? Like, valid isn't good enough. It, we need to be above, above valid. So what if there's just this quotation kind of in the middle of nowhere, right? And it's like, Peter looked at the crowd and said, I love you, or something like that. Like, you, you would think that, that is merely valid, but not good. Yeah, I think it depends on the context, but yeah, I would, uh, I don't know. I mean, Jesus wept, right? So yeah, I think it would call in my mind, it would call into question whether it was good. It might still be good there. So, I mean, there isn't a hard and fast, like it's valid, but it's not good uh, if it's short. Uh, So I don't know. I, I guess I would, I would. I would take a second look at it if it was a very short quote uh, and say, well, does this really make for a good situation question or should I ask it in a different form? That's interesting because I just got done saying if there are multiple sentences, I won't just randomly start at a sentence that doesn't have special meaning to it. Um, and there totally could be a sentence within a quotation that says, I don't know. Um, and there could also be a different place in the text where there's only one sentence in the quotation and it's, I don't know. And Theoretically, I should treat both of those the same, right? Because I have a sentence that is valid as a situation question, and now I'm deciding if it's good. Um, and if in one case I'm going to decide it's not good enough because it's within a larger quotation, in the other case, the fact that it's just by itself shouldn't really change things. But now that I'm thinking about it, it totally does when I'm writing questions. If I see a one-sentence quotation of any word length, um, one, two, three, four words, I'm going to write as a situation question and not even think twice about it. And I'm now wondering if I should maybe think a little bit harder about it. Yeah, maybe. It's one of those things, I mean, I wouldn't call it a hard and fast Boolean heuristic, but it's something that, you know, when I encounter something that's short like that, my my senses kind of perk up a little bit, right? It's kind of like, I take a second to kind of slow down and say, well, wait a minute, Does this, is this really a good question? Uh, am I trying to force the material into a situation question here when an interrogative or a reference would be better? Uh, th- those are sort of the things that kind of go through my mind. Interesting. I know as a question writer, I'm definitely guilty of kind of getting tunnel vision. You know, if I'm if I'm reading a verse and it says, Jesus went and Jesus ate. Well, I'm probably going to write Jesus what as a multiple answer reference question, just because I think I... I have a soft spot for multiple answer reference questions, even though I would never write Jesus what as any kind of interrogative or multiple answer question. Um, I just think it's a really awkward construct of a question. But when it comes to a very specific type like multiple answer reference, I don't think twice about it. Um, And I think that's how I treat those situation questions. Um, I'm faced with a short quotation. There's nothing else I can really do with it. I'm just going to write it. yeah. yeah, I tend to be the same way. I mean, you're, the Jesus what example, I write those kind of questions all the time. I mean, I write, uh, you know, chapter verse reference, uh, questions, he what, uh, you know, all the time. Uh, it just sort of makes sense in some of the contexts. Like, you know, if you're presented with something where he is the beginning of the sentence and it, and it, or the beginning of the verse and it covers the he what covers contextually the entirety of the verse, the CVR he what tends to make a lot of sense. Uh, it doesn't roll off the tongue all that well, but to me, I don't know. I don't see any quizzer being confused by that at all. Uh, you know, especially if you've got a both chapter and verse uh, in the reference there, it seems like it'd be pretty straightforward. I think, I think what's really going on in my mind when I'm writing questions is I'm, I'm, I'm saying, does this cover the material in a reasonable way that a quizzer the, a, a typical quizzer at whatever level we happen to be at, say at the district level, a, a typical quizzer at the district level is not going to be kind of thrown back on. Like, is, is this, is this overly confusing, uh, and bizarre? And really what makes something confusing is if it is, uh, holistically different than say the normative set of questions that we, that we encounter at a, at a, in a typical quiz. Sure. Uh, and our, some of our past discussions reminded me of, a topic that is pretty off topic, but um, you're talking about as you're writing questions, kind of a, as a question writer, you want to ask yourself, you know, if I'm asking this internationals, do I feel good about the, the test that I'm providing? Do I think the majority of internationals question, um, internationals quizzers would be um, like, they wouldn't be confused by this question. 
But then you also said you also want to think about district quizzing, you know, when you're kind of going through your questions. And it reminded me of something that I started doing last year, which I guess technically I can't do this anymore because I'm using CBQZ. Um, but last year I started designating some of my questions as quote-unquote internationals questions. So I thought that they were both valid and good, but just so um, very, very difficult that I just didn't feel right throwing them into the mix at our district meets. But I wanted them in my set so that if it got used for internationals practices or whatnot, it would be a good test um, for that level of quizzing. And I, Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I like that. I like that practice. That might be a nice uh, feature add or something to CBQZ. Although I, I suppose what you could do is write them in a separate uh, quiz uh, set or, or a separate question set and then before the, you, you know, as you're, as you're switching over to the, um, you know, uh, work with your internationals team, you just merge the question sets or something like that. But yeah, I, I mean, in principle, I like that idea of saying, you know, this, this question is, well, no, now that I say that, maybe I disagree with myself now. Let me think about this for a second. See, arguably, give, maybe give me an example. Can you give me an example of an internationals level uh, question that would, is, is totally valid because of course it has to be valid but is too confusing for a district-level competition. So confusing is not the word that I would use. So it's not about ability to understand, but it's just, like, um, just so difficult. Let me see if I still have my markings. Yeah, so, um, like, I have, I had a chapter verse reference that was, I do not want you to be what? And there was something about it that I do not, I do not what would not have been valid. Um, that they needed to give I do not want you to be what, that I just felt was a bridge too far for district quizzing, um, which you could argue that it's um, confusing, if that's the case. Um, I have a, a chapter reference, let the one who boasts what, boast in the Lord, and just kind of the way that that was constructed um, led me to, because like, I wouldn't have accepted let the one who what, because the answer to that is boasts, and it leaves out the boast in the Lord. And so the quizzer needed to be precise and give let the one who boasts what, which is another awkward construct. Um, and I just didn't want to include it in my district set, but it was totally a question that I thought could uh, could show up internationals, because I thought it was clear. Yeah, okay, I agree. Yeah, I think I think it makes sense. I mean, those examples, to me, yeah, I, I can see those being both awkward for the district level, but perfectly reasonable at an internationals or, or Great West level. And out of my 4,000 plus question set, I probably had fewer than 100 designated as quote-unquote internationals level. And um, it kind of is a, a solution to our big question difficulty summit that we had um, when we decided that any sort of algorithm that attempts to smooth question difficulty quiz to quiz while having some benefit and being well-intentioned will kind of cause the very hardest and very easiest questions to very rarely, if ever, be asked. And we didn't want that to be the case. We wanted any question in the set, theoretically, should have equal probability of occurring. Um, but any algorithm you put to, quote-unquote, enhance fairness would alter that initial goal. And so kind of filtering out maybe the heart, your hardest 1% of questions um, could solve almost all of those issues at a district level and then at internationals level having a random free-for-all where one quiz might have harder questions than another quiz is not really much of an issue, um, you know, at that level. Sure, and then, you know, probabilities being what they are, it's unlikely they would get clustered like that. Sure. I just, I know that every now and then there's a, finish the verse like there was one that started with if anyone of you or something like that and it was seven common syllables with another one and i was like if if this just happens in in finals and a and a team just has to take a 50 50 guess i'm kind of bummed out by that i like it when teams know the speed to go at for a greater than 50 percent probability of getting it right you know be that two syllables two and a mouth shape two and a half and so those situations where there's literally no preventing a well-disciplined team from having a 50-50 guess, I don't, I don't like those cases, but maybe I should like them more. So I think that hits all of our situation question things. So kind of as a very, very fast recap, um, as 
quiz masters and just general fans of Bible quizzing, we really enjoy this question type. It's kind of a change of pace. The different question types add a lot of fun and um, um, vagaries to quizzing, which is awesome. But as question writers, it's just real tough to feel like we're writing a very consistent set of questions that is consistent with all the other question writers writing situation questions because you're given a lot of latitude. And so even ignoring the, is it valid? And even ignoring the, is it good? I feel like I can be writing good situation questions and and another question writer is writing good situation questions and they have um, a lot of differences in style between them um, that, there's greater differences between question writers than there would be with any other question type. And those are just things that it probably helps to talk about them and say, hey, how do you write situation questions? What are your tendencies? What are your pet peeves? Um, as we try to write the best, most easily understood, best testing questions we can. Sounds good. John chapter one. Sounds good. Let's jump into it. So in looking at John chapter one, obviously I have to, you know, do my best to set aside my theology uh, doctrine theologian hat, I guess, uh, for a little bit. But of course, you know, when you're talking about John chapter one, you're talking about probably the most difficult and most compelling, most possibly, arguably, the most important language in all of the New Testament, even these these first several uh, verses in John chapter one. And of course, they're very beautiful and very poetic and very, uh, very uplifting and all that sort of thing. Uh, but uh, here we go. You know, in the beginning was the word logos. Uh, I'm going to stop doing that because this is quizzing and not theology. Sorry. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And he was with God in the beginning and through him, not and because I just added that uh, through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So a beautiful, beautiful opening uh, that I found difficult to write a lot of questions on because it doesn't have a lot of key material. Uh, there's, a, a again, a, the, the he what, a, a chapter verse reference question from one uh, chapter one, verse two, he what was with God uh, in the beginning. And you could even go, so who was with God in the beginning? He and clarify, and uh, that would be word. So that would work. Uh, let's see. We've got several uh, key verses here. Uh, verse 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 16, 17, 18. It just keeps going. There's a finish the verse down on 23. So uh, a lot of very interesting stuff here. Yeah, I... I would definitely struggle too with writing questions in material that's not very unique. And the first eight verses specifically are not unique at all. And so I might even write something like, in the beginning was the word and what as a multiple answer, even though I don't like to jump in after item number one and write items number two and three as my multiple answer. I think that's kind of lazy question writing, just as I like don't like to write Items one and two in the question and an interrogative question with item three is the answer. I think that's also lazy. Um, but in this case, I would because beginning was as a unique phrase in verse one is your really only basis for a question. And then verse two, he was what is going to be your chapter verse reference question. Verse three has a little bit more um, options to write. Verse five has your first unique word, what shines in the darkness. Um, and... When I'm writing questions, I try to write as much material as makes sense. So I try to not make it artificially short or artificially long. So I would never write what shines as a question. Even though it's valid, I think it's stopping short just to reduce the amount of material. What shines in the darkness? There's your full thought. You're teaching more of the material. Um, and I think it's a great question that flows well. But I think John 1... And that beginning part is a great introduction to a lot of the book of John. So I found John to be probably the hardest material for me to memorize. Now, the narrative material was always harder for me than non-narrative material. For many quizzers, it's actually the opposite. But I had a lot a hard time with narrative material. It felt, it felt chunky and stilted, um, which is probably wild to say because to most people it's a story. But... Um, People changing places, changing times, changing. Um, it was harder for me to keep that straight than a book like Hebrews, where there's not a whole lot of proper um, proper nouns or times. Um, but in John 1, there's a lot of 
language that kind of is vague. It's not unique. It repeats itself to some degree. And then also there are very memorable verses that we probably have memorized in other versions at one time or another, be it in Sunday school or in Awana or other things or VBS. And so this is an exhortation to quizzers to take things slow and always prioritize word perfect um, memorization above quantity. So in, in John 1, 1, you know, like um, in John 1, 3, through whom all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. There are so many times where a quizzer will throw an and into the middle of it, just like Griffin did. And I think there's some version in the past that has that and there. Um, and they will quote this verse 12 times, almost word perfect for finish the verse and put and in every single time. So like, make sure you're quoting to someone else who like, especially on these key verses is holding you to a perfect word, perfect standard and really work that you can quote it with a smooth cadence clearly without pausing to try to remember what the verse is and with no need for the listener to ever say again, that should be your standard. Um, and it's totally fine to memorize fewer verses at that standard. Um, and I would totally be fine with that because to me, there's nothing more frustrating than winning a jump and getting the question 95% correct, but there's no points for 95% correct. You have to get it hundred percent correct by whatever the standard of correct is for that question type. Um, and to me, there's nothing more frustrating. I can get beat by a millisecond all day long by other quizzers, but if I win the jump on unique material, I want to get it right every single time at that point. And so John 1 is can be difficult. John 17 was by far the hardest chapter I've ever had to memorize. John 15 is close, and it's so memorable, but you have to be very careful about um, you know, my father's house and the specific wording in this material. And so take it slow. It's very powerful material as well. Um, but it, I found it to be very difficult. Yeah. The other thing, the other note that I've got is, you know, this is a long chapter, uh, you know, especially last year coming off of second Corinthians at the end of the year, we're used to these incredibly short chapters. Uh, this is a very long one. There's over 50 verses here. It's, it's almost like two chapters, you know, uh, sandwiched together. And so, you know, take it slow and maybe consider memorizing it in two different parts, right? If you're, if you're kind of doing in that mentality of a chapter a week, maybe take the chapters of 50 or greater and split them into two and say, this is, you know, chapter one, part A, and this is chapter one, part B, and, uh, you know, work your way through them. I, I, the other thing is, please, you know, this is the beginning of the year. Um, please start the habit of memorizing references uh, along with the material. There are a number of reasons why you want to do this. Uh, it's it's a wonderful categorization system, mental categorization system, where you can jump into a specific verse. It opens up a huge number of possible additional question types and additional situations where you can actually answer questions where if you don't have the reference, you can't be as precise and, and you're sort of locking yourself out of, you know, chapter reference question, chapter verse reference question. Certainly you're locking yourself out of uh, quote questions. Uh, so, you know, get those references in there. Uh, those are incredibly important and, and they'll help you even when you're not even dealing with those types of questions. I think even when you're dealing with standard interrogatives, uh, having those reference anchor points, mental anchor points will be helpful to you. Uh, but then, I mean, tactically speaking, that's a more of a strategic thing, but tactically speaking, uh, looking at, we were just talking about, you know, John 1 1 and those first several verses where you know, from a question writer's perspective, it's a little bit tricky to write good questions through some of that material. But watch out for pronouns uh, and don't let yourself fall into the trap that the pronoun is the actual noun in a greater sense of that. Uh, certainly if we're going to ask you like, like in a great example of that, I'm, this is, that might be a little bit of a sort of vague idea. So let me give you a specific example in verse one, one, you know, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and word is said three times. And then verse two, we've got he, and then verse three, we've got him and him. And then in verse four, we've got him. And then in five, let's see, the light shines in the darkness. Uh, and then, uh, verse six, we've got John and then some more he's after that. And he himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. So that's eight. So there's a lot of he's 
And, you know, a good chunk of those in the first few verses relate to the word. Then after the, the he revert, revert, uh, uh, you know, relates to John. As you're memorizing through here, it's, it would be easy to look at, say, verse four or verse, you know, two and think the he or the him and go, okay, word, and then be thinking only just a couple of verses down and the he, uh, you know, if you're not thinking about the, the interpretation of the word, it would be easy to kind of connect the he and the him to the word when in fact it relates to John. So be careful about that. But then the other thing that, that kind of jumps out at me is the word word, uh, you know, in terms of the word uh, logos only actually appears in verse one and verse 14 of, uh, of, of uh, uh, John chapter one. And so, you know, looking down on verse 14, I'm, I'm, Looking at that saying, the word what, uh, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That is a, uh, chapter verse reference multiple answer question that just screams, you know, multiple answer chapter verse reference question, uh, right there because, you know, you need the, the word what because otherwise you're jump, you're, you're back into verse one. You have to have, or sorry, you have to have the, the verse reference. Otherwise you're, you're ambiguous between one and 14. And you've got this beautiful complete sentence. You've got a keyword in dwelling. Uh, sorry, not key. I, uh, that's old school. They're unique words. Uh, so the unique word of dwelling will be required. So that you've got this beautiful phrase, this full, complete thought uh, right out of 14 there. Yeah, that's a great question. And I almost started talking about a bunch of other stuff that you get in long narrative material chapters. But I realized that's probably a great basis for a future podcast episode. Very cool. Well, any other ideas in chapter one? I don't think so. We really just hit the beginning, but I think we hit a lot of um, the main concepts about John as a material and gave quizzers some keys to start on when they study. I think we, I think we've hit all of our topics for the show. Griffin, you want to close us out? Yes, indeed. Uh, but before we go, uh, you know, looking at, at the situation questions that we, situation question type that we were talking about, look at the very end of the chapter there. Uh, there's a lot of situation questions that can be pulled out of those last few, uh, verses there. 51, 50, 49, uh, 48. 47, 46, 45, a lot of situation questions that can be pulled out of the material. So I don't recommend that you become a situation question specialist. I think that's too limiting. Uh, But if uh, if you want to get yourself prepped up for scramble meet, those would be some great uh, verses to get under your belt for situation questions. All right. So with that said, uh, please email us because we get lonely unless you email us. Uh, We like to hear from you. If you've got questions about quizzing, about the the podcast, about CBQZ, about, you know, the scramble meet, about anything that's related to quizzing or even unrelated to quizzing at all. And you just want to say hi, we would love to hear from you. uh, Please email us at IQ at CBQZ.org. And we are on Twitter and Scott actually does a great job of uh, posting updates to the Inside Quizzing uh, Twitter account. So that is at Inside uh, Quizzing. And with that, I think we are done with our show. Awesome. All right. Thanks, everybody. And I will see you next time. Thanks, Scott. Thank you. Happy studying. <laughs>